The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm actually Sally Ganga, and I'll be your guest host today. Beth Heaton, the regular host, will be back next week. Now, on to today. Do you live in Texas? Are you planning on applying to multiple colleges in Texas? If so, you might consider using the Apply Texas application, which is kind of like the common application for most of the private and public colleges and universities in the state. We'll be addressing this in our middle segment after about 4.20. Then for our last segment, we'll be talking to a college finance expert about the best questions to ask college financial aid officers when you're visiting a college campus. Even if you don't think you'll qualify for aid, if money is a concern, for you, these questions will still be helpful. But first, are you a high school student thinking about applying to college or do you know one who is? Would it help to get some insight about the process from someone who's been through it, heard good news and bad news from admissions offices, and come out happy on the other side? Today we'll be talking to Maddie Shaw, a current student at the University of Virginia, as well as her college coach counselor, Kira Tyler. Welcome, Maddie and Kira. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, oh, thank Sally. You so thanks for having us. Oh, thank you both so much for coming today. I really appreciate it. So, Maddie, let's go ahead and just get started. I, I kind of want to begin with the beginning, which is, you know, what were you looking for in a college when you started out this process? What were you thinking were, was going to be the right kind of place for you? Well, of course, I was looking for somewhere uh, where I could get, you know, the best education uh, that I, I could with my high school uh, background. And But on top of that, I was also looking for somewhere where I could find a group of people who would, I would really click with um, and just an environment where I would be able to have fun in addition to studying and, and really just take some time to enjoy myself and, and figure out who I am in these four years. Okay, great. And actually, I think that's the perfect way to think about a college. Um, you know, best education, people who are sort of kindred souls who you're really going to learn a lot from and, and like you said, click with. Um, so how did you, what sort of qualities then did you isolate um, to come up with the schools on your list? And if you want, you can kind of start with the schools. You don't need to name all of them, but name at least a few of them maybe and talk about sort of why you thought they were, they might be the right place for you. Uh, well, I was looking for a larger school because I was under these sort of mantra that you can always make a large school feel small, but you can't always make a small school feel big. And, of course, for every person, that's different. But um, I started looking at the University of Virginia, which I, is where I am now, uh, and some larger schools like uh, Yale, um, Harvard, and uh, a lot of the 
you know, the larger Ivy League institutions as well as some technical schools out in California, um, just where people would be very academically focused, which was a big thing for me, um, and just, you know, tried to reach for what I could get. I had a pretty competitive high school experience and, and wanted to continue that and, and have the work that I did pay off. Mm-hmm. So when you say large, you're kind of thinking also medium to large, like not necessarily medium Penn State large, huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I wasn't looking for a small city, but uh, a school that's big enough that it was larger than the school that I came from. Okay, okay. And how did you, I mean, obviously you were reaching for um, some of the most selective colleges in the country, but I wonder how else you sort of determined that they were going to be academic enough for you. Uh, it was mostly just, just looking at how the students spend their weekends, um, what sort of clubs they're involved in, what kind of conversations that they have with each other, and, and judge from there. Um, but I think looking back on it, I would have been happy at most of the schools that I had even thought about whether or not they made it onto my list. Mm-hmm. Now, I love the fact that, you, um, that you've come up with some of these criteria, like how students spend their weekends. Um, cause I think most of my students wouldn't have thought of that. And actually I can tell you that although I've been doing this for over 20 years now, I've never thought to tell a student to find out how students spend their weekends. Although I have, I have told them to look at the organizations on campus. So how did you find that information out? I was mostly talking to people who I knew that went to other schools, um, and then just when you visited, got a sense of, of what people are doing outside of, of academics and then also extracurricular activities, because you don't really think about it, but the weekends are, are definitely um, your time to relax and, and do other things. And if you're looking at somewhere that's, you know, pretty busy, like New York, we always have stuff to do, um, or here in Charlottesville, where it's more relaxed, but there's definitely things going on. Um, and that was something that was important to me, that I, I would have other, other ways to sort of escape the academic madness if it ever got too stressful. Mm-hmm. So the weekends were part of how you could tell whether this place was going to have some of the balance that you were looking for. Right. If okay. people are spending their, their weekends in the library, then that might be a little too academic. Okay. Okay. Even for a student like you, because I know you were very Even accomplished. Even for a student like me, okay. we do need to occasionally... Uh, venture into the outside world <laughs> occasionally okay well that's good every now we and all, then not yes. all the time <laughs> yeah yeah but from time to time and I'm glad and I think it's good for students to identify that and and uh, and go with that now um you mentioned quickly your high school that it sounds like you went to a pretty intense college-bound type of high school what was the culture or environment like in your high school around the college ad- application process uh, so I went to a school in Northern Virginia, which was very competitive, and it's one of the best high schools in the country, but it's fed into this culture of just people were obsessed with college applications, and if you weren't applying to, you know, the best schools, then you were behind, and and uh, of course, we had a range of people going to many, many different schools, but it was easy to get caught up in this idea that everyone is, is looking for the best possible situation, um, and by best, they usually meant the most competitive uh, so it, it was easy that to sort of lose your perspective in that case and, and just think that this is the way things are when it's not actually the case at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to anyone who's applying to colleges, I promise you, it may seem extremely stressful, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I heard hey, something. Sally? 
Oh, yes, Kira, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to interject because um, I think what Maddie just said is one of the reasons why um, I really loved working with her. You know, you and I have been colleagues for many, many years. I worked at College Coach for 10 years. And um, I think just what Maddie said in terms of, like, there are many, many options. It's all going to work itself out. I mean, she is an extraordinarily bright girl who had incredible grades, really terrific work habits, was taking really challenging classes and great extracurriculars. Um, But right away, it became very clear to me that she was going to approach this process in a really balanced fashion. And she's already said balanced. A, a few times here, but but that's what really struck me is that, you know, we work with a lot of really talented students, and, you know, the vast majority of them are really terrific, but it was really like sort of Maddie's spirit and her take on this whole process that um, it never seemed to really affect her personally because she was always really conscious and confident that she had done what she was supposed to do and that wherever she was going to land, it was going to be good and she was going to make it a great opportunity. Um, and she also didn't apply to schools that she was never going to go, you know, where she was never going to attend. And so that, that really struck me. There was like no filler, you know, she was looking for what she was looking for and she knew that one of those would play itself out. So um, I just wanted to, to say that um, about her. Well, thank you, Kira. <laughs> You're welcome, Maddie. Yeah, and Kira, I'm really glad you interjected with that. It's really helpful to know that, and you've got that insider's perspective. Um, And I want to kind of highlight, too, that I think it's so great that you didn't apply to filler, that you weren't out there trophy hunting, because I also hear in some of these very competitive environments about students who apply just to kind of see how many admits they can get. And I always think that's so kind of personally destructive and just kind of not good for the process as a whole. Yeah, I definitely knew some people who applied to as many schools as they possibly could have time for. And not only did it it take up all their time writing essays and filling out applications, but they spent all this money on application costs that they were never going to attend the school. Right. Um, So it just, it seems kind of like a waste. Don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, of course have safeties, but don't have it to be so many safeties that you're just wasting your time. Right. Absolutely. A balanced list is what we always talk about. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. a college coach, we say, you know, sort of two safeties and then maybe three in the middle and then at least two challenging. Usually people have more, but balance. It's all about balance, but not filler. Um, right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And so um, I'm kind of curious, did you have a, cur- a first choice uh, during the application process when you were applying? What was your what was your first choice if you had one? I didn't actually have a first choice. Um, there was no school that, you know, I'd been wanting to go to since I was six years old and, and grew up thinking that, you know, that's the right place for me. Of course, I did know people who had that situation, but I was just going to wait and see what I heard. And um, I think if you do have a first choice, that's great. I'm glad that you have somewhere that you're really passionate about. But at the same time, if you get a negative response to that from them. I think it can be really soul crushing. Um, mm-hmm. And that was definitely the case with a couple of my friends and they, they're happy where they are now, but it was a really just a source of unnecessary stress. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then when you hear back from a school, you know, you're going to be really excited about it. And uh, I wasn't going to, going to put all my eggs in one basket as it were. Mm-hmm. I think that's such incredibly wise advice. 
And I, I also want to stress, sometimes people aren't happy when I say this, but if you've liked a school since you were six, that's probably not based on good information, um, you mm-hmm. know, because when you were six, you don't want to make up your mind that early. So I actually think it's better if you've visited a bunch of colleges. And really the ideal process for me is that you 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 really, as you did, Maddie, it sounds like, have multiple college where you go, yeah, absolutely, I could be happy at any one of these. Right, yeah. And, and oftentimes I think there's a theme there. So if you do have a school that you love, maybe look for why you love it, and then I'm sure you can find it in other schools. And then that way it's not the end of the world if, if you don't get the decision that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's incredibly sage advice. And actually, I will say that when I'm in my office with students trying to help them pick out their college list, if they say a like, they like to school, I say, okay, why? You have to tell me why. And if you don't like a school, you have to tell me why. And that way we can help figure mm-hmm. out what that theme is, as you said. So that's great. Um, how did you feel once your decisions started coming in? Kind of take us to, to that point in the process to, you know, sort of December 15th and then maybe, um, you know, the end of, uh, end of March, early April. Right. Uh, I, I had quite a few rejections, not going to lie about that. Um, and that was hard. And I think there was a lot of discouraging uh, feelings around around that. But um, I also did get a couple of acceptances, and those were were definitely an ego boost. Uh, but it's also, you know, with the schools that you don't get into, you can be sad about it for a while, and then you just move on and look at the schools that you did get into, and, and that's what I wound up doing. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to get into a school that I really had liked before um, and was, was very positive about going to. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay if you get a rejection and the world does not end, even though it may feel like it in the moment. Uh, so it was, it was good. And then that's, I think, also why you should have safeties because it's definitely, definitely an ego boost when you, you hear back from them that you got accepted, even if you were expecting it. Mm-hmm. Tell us about, tell us about um, your acceptances. Uh, yeah, I was accepted into UVA, uh, Harvey Mudd, uh, which is a technical school out in California, and then Virginia Tech. Um, and for me, uh, University of Virginia was the obvious choice. Um, although all the schools are great, um, it was just financially and and based on what I had been looking for, the best choice for me. Um, so it was, I never really had a, a tough time deciding, mm-hmm. but uh they were great. I was I was very pleased with it, and um, I was ultimately happy with how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Good, good. So tell me, it's interesting because you mentioned a theme. Um, so what was the theme tying together UVA, Harvey Mudd, and Virginia Tech? Um, well, I had been very interested in science throughout high school. Uh, so all of these schools had great science and engineering programs, which was very important to me. Um, Harvey Mudd had... It's a relatively small community, but it's within the larger uh, Claremont McKenna group. So it did sort of fit that medium-sized school um, that the other, other two had as well. And then, of course, in-state uh, for UVA and Virginia Tech, which was financially important. Uh, and then they just had very uh, fun communities, which was important to me. Okay, great. So talk about that. Like, we've talked a little bit about finding a, um, a fun community. So... Again, sort of how did you research those? We know that you asked about the weekends, but did you go back and visit to help make your final decision? Or, uh, Well, since my decision had been, had been pretty much made by, 
the acceptances that I'd gotten. I didn't go back and visit, but um, when I was at UVA for the tour, uh, I found out about all the different clubs that they have and the different opportunities. And I think this is true for most schools that if you're looking for something, I, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, there's there's clubs for everything in college, and it's really hard to not sign up for for every single one out there. But uh, you know, you'll just you'll find people that you click with. Um, I had known a lot of people who came to the school and really enjoyed their time here, so that was a positive reinforcement for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ultimately you know how I how I decided I would be happy here. Mm-hmm. Good. So clearly, uh, clearly you've been ple- you're you're pleased and happy now. You, you definitely feel like you've made the right, you made the right choice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I think I would have been happy at, at any school that I'd gone, gone into and decided to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had other schools that I, I had thought maybe I would enjoy being at, but I think if you go into it with the right attitude and just say that it's college, if you're not enjoying it, you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, and just, <laughs> Just, you know, relax because it's fun and, and you're going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And have you, found, um, have you found your classes to be sort of the right level of challenging? Yeah. Um, and midterms are coming up. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been studying all the time. Uh, no, it, it's, it's definitely, it's different from high school, but I don't think it's, it's too, much, um, too much of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, and I ask... I ask that, too, because I think sometimes students who don't maybe get into, you know, a, a top choice, the, the most selective schools are sometimes concerned that their less selective options won't be challenging. And I'm always reassuring them, don't worry, these are still extremely good schools and you will find them to be quite challenging and very high quality as well. So I right, just wanted yeah. to kind of underline that point. It sounds like you've definitely found that to be the case at UVA. Yeah, and it, it's as hard as you want to make it. If you want to take easy classes and sort of relax, you can definitely do that, or you can overload yourself with work and, and you know, graduate early. There's, there's lots of different options, so you're not mm-hmm. stuck into this set path. It's not like high school where you have classes that you have to take, and some of them are easy, and some of them are too hard. It's, it's really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So what are you, uh, I know you mentioned science. Have you fi- picked out a major yet, or are you taking your time to figure it out? Oh, I am completely undecided. Uh, I I got here and I just I I thought, well, maybe I should explore a couple different options before I really lock myself into that path. So mm-hmm. I'm taking a, a wide range of both science and humanities classes, and just just going to see how it turns out and what I enjoy. Um, there's no rush. I, I still have some time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I because a lot of the people that I know who who said I'm going to have this major. I'm going to, you know, do this and then this and then this and, and have this whole plan. They got here and they're like, well, maybe that's not what I want to do. Maybe I want to do something else. So. Okay, good. And I th- and we have to wrap it up there, but I think that's a wonderful place to end because I also like the fact that, um, that you underlined that really college is a journey and you should enjoy and pay attention to the journey and not feel like you have to have everything figured out before you get there. So, no, um, no one has everything figured out. And if they do, yeah. they're lying. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, well, thank you so much, Maddie and Kira. Uh, right, we're going to take you. a short you're welcome. And we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, everyone will be talking about Apply Texas, an application used by most colleges in, guess what, the state of Texas. Thanks so much.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. As I mentioned before our break, our next segment is regarding the Apply Texas application, an application that is kind of like a common application for schools in the state of Texas. Or at least uh, my next guest, Tova, will tell me uh, if I'm accurate in that assessment. Tova is a former admissions officer and is our in-house expert here at College Coach regarding this application. Welcome, Tova. Thanks, Sally. It's good to be here. Although, I don't know, in-house expert sounds a little intimidating. I'll do my best. Okay, okay. In-house trainer, in-house insight person. (laughs) I'll try and (laughs) dial it back a little. Um, But in any case, maybe you could could start with um, what is Apply Texas? Tell us a little more about just generally what it is. Sure. And you hit the nail on the head. It is just that. It's very much like a common application. It is one common platform of an application that you fill out once and then submit to multiple places. Uh, majority of schools in Texas are using it both public and private, uh, but also it's not just the application for admission. It's a platform that's used for a number of different elements regarding uh, college, the college-going process. It's four-year schools and two-year schools, but it is also used uh, for scholarship review. It is used by some schools for housing applications. Uh, it's, it's certainly something that goes a little bit deeper than just uh, admission applications. 
Okay, so it's a pretty broad platform overall and extremely mm-hmm. useful to anybody who's in state, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so how, how does it differ from the common application? We've obviously, you've named a couple things that already make it different, um, I think. So any other, any other comments on that? Sure, sure. Well, you know, it, it's not all that different uh, in the sense of what it is that it's collecting. I'll say, you know, while you said it's certainly something that's very important for many aspects, one, one major difference is that it's really just not that pretty <laughs> or intuitive. <laughs> it's a little bit clunky. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's something that Common App is designed and run by a private organization. They've gone through lots of iterations. It is a sleek, well-oiled at this point machine that just looks pretty and, and you know where to click and it makes sense. Uh, filling out applied taxes is, uh, I'll say clunky to be kind. It's not very intuitive of exactly where to look. Uh, it doesn't necessarily follow the process. So you have to kind of poke around and spend some time making sure that you're filling out all the different pieces. Uh, so that is one, one big difference. Uh, mostly the sections are the same. You know, you're going to have that biographical information section uh, and education information section for you to fill out. Uh, they then have a separate test information section just like Common App. Uh, there is a whole section on residency information, which makes sense because it's a state-specific application. And so they're going to need to collect a lot of information on Texas residency. Um, the extracurriculars are broken out a little bit differently than Common App. So just like Common App, there is a place to talk all about the wonderful activities that you have. And at, at first glance, uh, Apply Texas is actually a little bit more intimidating than, than Common App. And Common App has those main tent spots for catch-all. And Applied Texas breaks it out. Uh, they have two separate sections. And their extracurricular section is divided into three categories. They have one for the sort of catch-all extracurricular activity, and they describe that as membership or offices held in clubs specifically, whether elected or appointed. They have another section for volunteer or community experiences, so basically any sort of volunteering that you're doing. And then another section for talents, awards, and honors. And they specify that that's where you would put in things like sports or cheerleading or music accomplishments, academic honors, awards, certificates, all that goes in there. So while it all sort of blended together in Common App, Apply Texas divides them out into those categories. And then there's a whole separate section for employment. And that employment and, uh, and internships or summer activities, as they call it, is actually a required section to be completed. Uh, in, and even if you're leaving a blank, you do have to go through it and make sure that you've acknowledged it for the scholarship section. So uh, I'd say the extracurricular involvement is really quite different than Common App, uh, but it ultimately is structured the same way. They're after the same information. They just give you a little bit more of a specialized way to fill it out. Uh, there is an opportunity, just kind of like on Common App, for supplements, uh, but it's they're called custom questions. And it prompts you whether or not the school that you're applying to has those. And then, of course, there's an essay section and then some sort of certification of information, you know, a place where you say, yep, this is all true, uh, and a place to submit your application fee. So overall, quite similar, uh, but a little bit more nuanced and uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit clunkier, not quite as pretty as Common App. 
Okay. So, yeah, it sounds uh, clunkier, and it does actually sound more confusing, although uh, when I went on it once and kind of poked around, I thought, maybe it's just because I'm used to the Common App, but this makes no sense to me. So I was very sympathetic to the high school students in Texas. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned custom questions. Is that, do you, by that, do you mean the essay questions? Because I know they've got different topics, topic A, B, C, uh, and D. Yeah. No, it's a little bit different than that. It's a whole separate section called custom questions for this institution. So let's say you selected a school, you're applying to Texas Tech. Uh, it'll prompt you for for example, Texas Tech, I was just on theirs. There was only one custom question, and they wanted to know whether or not you were a recipient of any of the national scholarship competitions, national merit, national Hispanic, and that was just a custom question. It's separate from essays. There, it's never going to be uh, a detailed uh, short answer questions or multiple essays there. It's more just additional information that they're after that might be specific to their university that isn't needed or required by all institutions kind of like a supplement to the Common App that doesn't have essay questions. So there might be just additional um, information they need. Okay, so that makes sense to me then, supplement. Um, and that and that actually brings up something else, which is how do you use it to apply to multiple schools? It sounds like there is some customization that takes place. There is, and this is another thing that's not quite as seamless for multiple submissions like it is with Common App. Instead of sort of filling out all this information and, and then clicking off the schools that you want to send it to, you're actually, in a way, filling out the application multiple times. So with Common App, you're selecting your list of schools sort of independently of filling out the application, and then you marry the two together. With Apply Texas, you're actually better served to really complete fully the application once to one school, and then you'll have the opportunity to copy that application. If you copy that application before you're done, you might then have more information to fill out multiple times. So, for example, if you spend all your energy uh, working through the extracurricular activities, but you only get, let's say, halfway through it, and at that point you decide, okay, I have my application going for UT Austin. Now I want to copy it to start working on my Southern Methodist application. You would then, if you're not done with the application before you've copied it, have to do everything twice. So this is key. I really do recommend filling out the application completely for one school. Even if you're not ready to submit it, that's fine. Just making sure you've done all that extracurricular and employment and scholarship information for one school before you then start copying it for other schools. It will prompt you to go through each page. As much of the information that can be will be there already, but you do have to verify and sort of save each page as as you go through it. That does mean you have the opportunity to edit it if you see fit. There might be some opportunities to be creative with that. Um, And then you'll be able to submit to each school individually. Just like Common App, you'll still then be verifying and paying a fee for each school. So instead of uh, doing it all once, you're sort of creating multiple copies of the same application and then specifying it for each school. Okay. Okay. 
It does sound complicated, but I'm sure if I dug into it with your advice, it would be easier than it was last time. <laughs> so, yeah. I will say they do a good job of uh, explaining a lot of this. Uh, they have a nice uh, frequently asked questions tab, as well as a general application instruction page. Um, so honestly, what I recommend doing is before you get too far into it, and I know it's very hard to read instructions first, but read instructions first on this one. I think it would serve you well if you took the time to go through the application information page that they have on the header of the Apply Texas website, which, by the way, is applytexas.org. So I think that this is one of those things where instructions really are helpful. And check out their frequently asked questions when you do run into trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's good advice in general. Uh, good, frequently asked questions on most <laughs> for life, websites. Sally, for life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the um, the essay topics then. Like topic A is one that I've seen a lot when I've been reviewing students' essays. Describe a setting in which you have collaborated or interacted with those different from yourself. Like, what do you think that they're trying to get at in that particular question? I think that they're trying to. Uh, really give you an opportunity to demonstrate how you are going to be able to interact with a diverse student body. College is a chance to be a part of a student body where students are coming from all around the world, all kinds of different viewpoints, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different racial and ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different political beliefs, and sure, there might be commonalities in in a particular student body, but you are going to be in a position where you're going to be hopefully interacting and collaborating with those different from you. And they want to see, are you the kind of student who can not only thrive in that situation, but really contribute in a situation like that? Can you work with that and bring something to the table? Uh, Give us an example of a time where where we can see from that, where you've really shown, and, and you know, Sally, that's something we talk about all the time, really showing versus telling. Show us a time where you've done that successfully in a way that's going to tell us you can do that here on our campus and therefore make our campus that much more interesting and that much more diverse. Okay. And so since show, I think the show don't tell, although it's, uh, you know, which, which we do talk about a lot, it's not specific to Texas, but I think it bears repeating over and over because I think it's, yeah, yeah. if there's a mistake students make, it's that they tell a lot, but they don't show. So what do you mean by show in this context, in the essay context? Yeah. I, you know, it, it means given an example. You know, you can't just say, I used to uh, believe X. You know, I, I, uh, I, you know I, I, I used to be very organized, uh, but then I worked with some people who were disorganized, and now I know how to enjoy and embrace a little bit more casual living. Well, that's telling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're just going to have to take your word for it. Whereas if you tell and show this great story of a time where you were so type A, you had to have everything lined up in a row, and you were stuck on this project with this person who was so disorganized, was coming up with an idea that was left and right and all over the place, and you had to find a way to work together and uh, marry your two styles, and in the end, you really were able to embrace her, uh, her impromptu and extemporaneous 
Virginia style and it really made you that much more creative and here's why. And you really can demonstrate that growth through that experience. That's going to make it so much stronger and so much more apparent for the school to see, wow, she really is someone who benefited from working with someone who was slightly more off the cuff and maybe less organized than her. And she was able to, to, uh, to work with someone different from her. They're not then Mm going to worry, oh no, is she not going to be able to live with a roommate? Oh no, is he not going to be able to interact with anyone who's maybe coming from a a no-faith background when he's extraordinarily religious? So really showing with vivid examples, explanations, maybe sometimes even some dialogue uh, to, to delve into that experience and, and really paint a picture for the reader. Okay, that, thank you. That's super helpful. So let's go on to topic B. We've got about four minutes left, a little less. Okay. Um, but I think that's actually enough to cover the most used topics. So yeah. Describe a circumstance, obstacle, or conflict, and skills and resources used to overcome it. Like, what's a what's a an idea that you might have for topic B? Uh, you know, whenever I hear this topic, Sally, I immediately think of the common app failure prompt. You know, tell us about a time where you failed and, and what did you learn from it. Um, I think you need to go for something and think of something that really is going to give you that opportunity opportunity to show what resources you use to resolve it and how did it impact you moving forward? You know, there is, it's kind of a, a trick question there of did it change you? If so, how? You know, you're not, a, I'll, I'll give you a hint there. You're not answering the question well if you say, nope, didn't change me. Right. <laughs> I, I was already good at this. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I see all kinds of different things work well. I think, I'll be honest, what's really hard to do well is, you know, the big game. We lost the big game. My life was over because I, you know, I got cut from the team and here's what I've learned. But at the same rate, as you know well, any topic can be done well if it's reflective and really delves into those resources you use to resolve it and, and what, how it impacted you moving forward. You know, how did you come out the other side? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really the key focus of this essay. That sounds, yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, So what about topic C? Considering your lifetime goals, uh, current and future academic and extracurricular activities might help you achieve those goals. Answer the question. So I think, yeah, sorry, sorry. go ahead. Give me your thoughts on that. I'd say that's, uh, to me, one of the more intimidating questions. And actually, UT Austin does require this one. Uh, uh, let's, let's also be clear, Sally. The majority of schools in Texas do not require essays. Uh, some do, some don't. Uh, you know, UT requires two, they say, uh, topic C and one other. A&M requires A and B and none other. Baylor has none. Southern Methodist says A is required, B is optional. They don't mention C, so it is important to check each school. But so for the schools who require C or, or you're looking at using it for optional, I think this can be intimidating for those students who say, I don't know what my goals are. Gosh, you know, how many years working as a professional am I? What are my goals? What am I working towards? I think what, what I've learned from my colleagues at UT Austin specifically is really thinking about answering the question as, as sometimes literally as you can, thinking about your extracurriculars, thinking about your academics, 
what do you want to do next? And if you do know what's coming down the road for you, great. Show it and, and say, okay, I know I want to head into the health field. Show what activities you've done in, in that field, whether you've been shadowing in the hospital, working in a lab, and what science courses you've taken. It's great and it's fine to be literal. And if you don't know, show that you're still exploring your options. That you know, you're, Maybe if you're applying to UT as undecided, you're applying to undergraduate studies, show that passion, that thirst for knowledge, that they're carefully considering all your options, your desire to explore majors. They want to see evidence of a student's mind in action. That's how they talk about it at UT, a student's mind in action. And telling them about your overall goals uh, is is certainly something that you can construct an essay around. I think the, the message here is try not to be too intimidated, and it's okay to be literal. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Tova. Um, we're all set here today. I really appreciate your insight on this. It was really helpful for me. Um, so everyone, when we get back, we'll be talking about the best questions to ask about financial aid and just making college cheaper when you're on a visit to college campuses. Thanks, everyone. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for our third and final segment. 
While not all of you will be applying for financial aid, you still might want to listen to Jan Combs, former assistant director of financial aid at Boston University. Um, She has some great suggestions for everyone, even if you're just concerned about saving money. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great. Oh, so pleased that you could be here today. And so I just want to run through some questions that, um, um, you know, that, that might be useful um, for people when they're going to a college campus. Like some of the things that I've thought about is, are there different board or food options available that might help uh, families save money, for example? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely many food plan options available, typically at all types of colleges. And it really is important to get um, a sense of what's available um, and the real cost of the different meal plans available uh, to the student from the colleges. Um, most definitely have a variety of plans available, either in kind of number of meals or, you know, for example, 10 meals a week or 20 meals a week, or some have food box plans available where the students can purchase food a la carte anywhere on campus, and the dollars in their account kind of will dwindle down as they use the account. Um, you know, one thing I think of when, when we're talking about board options, I think it's important to know the child's habits when determining which plan to use. So, for example, if you have a child who, you know, likes to sleep in and thus would miss breakfast every day, well, it probably doesn't make sense to buy the 20-meal plan if, you know, they're going to be sleeping through seven of those meals. So, um, certainly maybe a plan that offers just one or two meals a day would be more economical for that type of student. So a great question to ask the college is how, um, also how portable the meal plans are. So, for example, do students need to eat in certain dining halls or can they um, access any dining hall on campus? Um, you know, especially students on large campuses may have classes very far away from where they're living in their dormitory. So you want to be able to make sure they can access their meal options wherever they are on campus. So, um, you know, meal plans have come a long way since I was on uh, college campus, um, and most colleges do definitely have many options available. So families should really be sure to ask the college what's available. Pick a plan based on your child's dietary needs as well as their habits, um, and of course, what you know works within the family budget. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, the the saving money on breakfast resonates for me because I think I never made it to breakfast first semester, so I finally just <laughs> bought cereal and had a mini fridge in my room with milk, and Absolutely. that was that took and care of it. A lot of students that you know do skip breakfast, so that's why you know choosing that meal plan is so important. Exactly. Um, so, what about student health insurance? Do most families have to pay for that? Well, you know, it really depends. Um, one thing I'll say is. With regard to health insurance, colleges absolutely need to know that the students have health insurance, and they will automatically bill the students for health insurance coverage. So what happens when, you know, the family gets that bill in the middle of the summer before they enroll, there will be a fee on there for health insurance. However, you know, many students, most students probably have medical insurance from another plan. In that case, a student can waive the health insurance coverage from the college by completing what's called a health insurance waiver form. You get it from the registration office typically. And then the college will remove the health insurance fee from the student's bill after the waiver form is processed. So, and student health insurance bills from the colleges can be very expensive. So certainly if you already have it elsewhere, real important to waive it to save money. But I will say just, just a point would be to make sure that if the student is thinking of waiving the health insurance, that the student check with their own 
health insurance provider that they have to make sure that their treatment would be covered at an on-campus facility or, the you know, a local nearby clinic or hospital because you really want to make sure that you're going to get in-network costs if the student does need to visit a facility near their college because if they're treated as out-of-network, then usually those are much, much more expensive bills and then, you know, waiving the insurance might not be the best idea. So just get all the info, you know, up front first. Um, if you've got great coverage, um, then certainly waive that, you know, expensive health insurance fee. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good advice. And what about um, used books? Should they always go to the bookstore right away and buy brand new books, or are there other options? Well, I definitely would say not to run to the bookstore and buy brand new books, certainly. Um, <laughs> books are expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different ways of saving on books and supplies. So certainly the bookstore on the college campus many times will have, of course, brand new books, but also used books, you know, that students have turned in from previously years. So if, you know, if that's available on campus, that's, you know, uh, certainly an option. But before you purchase at the bookstore, you might want to check out either Amazon.com or Chegg um, as well, another online retailer, have a lot of used books. Um, There's also a lot of online um, bookstores that rent books as well. So, you know, get get a copy of the syllabus, find out exactly, you know, the edition of the book that you need for your course, and do some research online first, either from Amazon or Chegg or one of the other online retailers, and look what it costs to either buy um, used or to rent it. And then you can certainly compare it to the bookstore right on campus. And, you know, mm-hmm. books add up. You know, students have taken four or five courses, courses a semester times two semesters. Um, and so it, it really does pay to do a little shopping and research before you just dive in and buy those brand new books. Mm-hmm. Well, and I campus. can... Yeah, I can speak for myself, too. I um, I did not have a huge budget for books, and luckily I wasn't a science major because they get hit the, the hardest. Right. And w- what I realized is that as a history major, I didn't have textbooks. I had smaller texts, and you we didn't always have to read the entire text, and especially in those sure. situations, the library was actually a great resource for me. So yeah. if you're... If your school library has nice long hours when you can get there, you know, when you can get there, then I think also just checking the books out at the library can be a really good option. Absolutely. And also the electronic versions, if they are offered electronically, whether, you know, you you find out about those from the professor or or through an online, you know, electronic site, um, that's another way to go as well, especially like you say, if you don't need the entire textbook, just grab what you need and, and go on from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about a student who, I mean, we all have heard about work-study jobs, but what about students who need to work but who don't qualify for an official work-study job? Sure, sure. So federal work-study, obviously a popular need-based federal financial aid program, and many students will receive a work-study allocation as part of their financial aid package, but it is need-based, so certainly not everyone will. So, you know, it is more difficult to get a job on campus if you don't have work study. Um, Not impossible, however, there definitely are less of them available. So a great question for the college really is to ask, you know, what type of jobs typically are there for kids that don't have work study? Certainly, in my experience, I found that sometimes working um, for faculty or in the academic areas, 
are a great place to look because they might have a grant for a, you know, a specific project and can hire students, you know, to help with the project or the research kind of related to the grant. Um, a student affairs office also typically might have a, a good listing of positions that are available for non-work study as well. Certainly ask the college where the job board is. Some are only online and some certainly have old-fashioned physical bulletin boards as well uh, with the job listings. And, you know, typically an employer will know in their job posting they'll be really specific, whether it's for work study specifically or open to any student. So, you know, certainly students should read the small print um, in the job posting so they can apply to jobs, you know, that, that they can actually get. So definitely, you know, easier certainly if you have work study, but not impossible. There are a number of jobs, and then, you know, usually around campus, whether it's in a town or a city, you know, some of the surrounding businesses or restaurants or um, groups, agencies will, you know, hire students as well. So if you can't find a job on campus, then certainly venture out a little bit because there's typically some jobs available as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I went to a small college where it was very easy to just pop your head into different offices and see if they were yeah. hiring. So I want to recommend Absolutely. the old-fashioned Pound the pavement. It's an option, too. Um, Absolutely. No doubt about that. Yeah. And so how about, let's talk a little bit about timing. Do students typically get their acceptance letter and their aid package um, at the same time? You know, it really depends. Um, It depends. Different colleges have different processes. Um, Some colleges will send the admissions acceptance letter via snail mail, and some will send it, you know, via an electronic process, like an online portal at the college. Um, Most schools definitely try to get the information to you as quickly as they can. Certainly, you know, families need the admissions acceptance letter and that financial aid water letter at the same time. So as long as the student has completed the financial aid application process, they will either get their financial aid decision letter either in with their admissions application or shortly thereafter. Um, mm-hmm. Not always at the same time. Sometimes the aid office follows a week or two later. Um, but they absolutely know that families are anxious. You know, they want their acceptance and, you know, all the details related to, to financial aid. So, you know, it's important for families to know that the student first needs to be accepted to the college, then they will get the aid package. So, um, you know, like, like I said, for those who have been accepted, as long as their aid application is complete, they should get that their decision within a relatively short period of time. Certainly, if they get a letter in the mail or electronic acceptance letter and they don't hear anything from financial aid within a reasonable time, absolutely give them a call, send them an email, you know, make sure they've done everything they need to do to apply for financial aid. Okay. And how about living off campus? Um, is there, is that a, in the late, later years, like in the junior, senior year, is that a way to save money? Um, you know, do you think that's always a good idea for a student to ask about or to think about you know, moving off campus? It's definitely a good idea to ask about. Um, I, you know, it depends really on, you know, housing options, options really vary greatly from one college to another. Um, certainly colleges in the city are going to have a ton of living options, but also greater competition since there may, you know, be other colleges in the area as well. It's definitely a great question for families to ask um, to see, you know, what the rooming options are for upperclassmen um, and certainly which ones are the most economical. Um, mostly freshmen are going to live on campus, and then the majority of colleges will let their upperclassmen live, you know, elsewhere. Um, and certainly rooming options of, of many kinds are available, you know, as students kind of 
you know, get up into the older years. Um, the housing office at the college really is a great resource for families. I would absolutely encourage families to ask them questions pertaining to rooming options. Um, you know, certainly, you know, college-owned off-campus opportunity um, are, is nice because it can be arranged for, you know, via that, the college housing office. Your rooming costs can be billed to the family, you know, you know, from the schools so that keeps it kind of simple and straightforward. Um, you want to know whether you still have the same access to meal plans, though, you know, if you're living in a different type of housing, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. Or students can look elsewhere, opportunities beyond uh, the college, and, uh, and see if there's landlords that will rent directly to them where the okay. student signs a lease. Um, sure, sure. Know, that's an, yeah, so that's an option as well. But definitely the housing office really is, is the best option and I think uh, you know affordability depends on partly what the school has to offer and where it's located in the country. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have to close this up now, Jan, but I want to thank you so much for coming and for for helping us out with those questions. And I want to thank all my guests today. We have a great lineup for next week's show that I want to tell you about. Beth Heaton will be returning as your host, and she'll be reviewing some of those very tough supplemental essay prompts, specifically those of Tufts, Lehigh, and Syracuse with some of her guests. She'll then discuss the differences between the, the commonly used financial aid applications, the CSS profile, and the FAFSA, or Free Application for Federal Student Aid, with a finance expert. Finally, just a reminder that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download every show for free on iTunes. So get in there and check out our our archives. The last two weeks, our admissions experts did some case studies of how colleges review applications holistically, and as well as discussing applying to Canadian colleges, which can be a nice lower-cost option, among other topics. There's a ton of great stuff in each of those segments. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.